Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with all of you this morning as we continue uh, our journey into the extraordinary unfolding story of God, specifically uh, in this letter that we are currently journeying through, uh, the letter of 2 Corinthians. So as many of you know, if you've been around at all, uh, we are traveling through 2 Corinthians because Paul is writing 2 Corinthians right now to the church in Corinth from Macedonia uh, after getting word from Titus uh, that the second letter he wrote has had good impact on the hearts of the people. This is not the second letter, this is actually the third. And so he's writing this in response to receiving word that the second very severe letter has had good impact on them. Uh, In the beginning of this letter, what's been so fun for me and I think for us has been the extraordinary unpacking of this reality of grace that we have gotten to experience. So we have watched from the intro of this letter how Paul demonstrates God's grace through himself to the people of Corinth because he is a recipient of God's grace. He has demonstrated how he himself affects his grace toward the Corinthians because he is a recipient of God's grace, can give God's grace, but can also extend his grace toward them since God has extended his grace toward Paul. And then most recently, we have engaged in this beautiful invitation that Paul gave to the church in Corinth and through them to us to engage in being gracious toward one another uh, so that we can together be gracious toward the world. The last message that we did this last weekend was probably one of my favorites in a very long time because uh, it was a massive paradigm shift for me. Uh, I discover wonderful things in Scripture all the time that shape me, but on occasion, it is so significant to my particular season of life that I'm like, oh, I needed this so badly. And the paradigm shift that captured my heart last weekend was this idea that we discovered together That grace is not just a good idea to make for a better home, a better church, a better friendship, a better workplace. That grace is, in fact, the war cry, the warfare that we affect on the enemies designed for us, right? So the enemy's trying to kill us, and we get to fight his design by warring against him with grace. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? So Monday was good. Tuesday was okay. It was definitely okay. Wednesday and Thursday, not, not, not terrible. Not, not terrible. Listen, guys, affecting grace on people is hard. I don't know if you figure, I don't know how it went for you this week, but I was like, design of enemy, check, win, one, boom. Renault, gracious, check, lose, one, boom. When I entered into this week, it, it, didn't, go so, it didn't go so well. Now, now I recognize that the enemy is at play in our lives, and so he certainly isn't going to sit back after a weekend like last weekend and go, oh, I know, I'll just let things play out normal, and they'll be fine. No, no, he's going he's gonna to go at the throat. So in my home, uh, we have a lot going on right now. We, we are in the process of uh, working through some house shifting in the area here. We're going to move from one home to another this summer uh, here in this area, and so one's for sale, uh, one's getting ready, and you can imagine with eight kids when you're trying to keep a home model ready for all the people looking at it, that did not go well, okay? And I don't really care, but my wife She's the one that really, really cares as she ought because she has to keep that puppy together throughout the day while I'm flitting off to work somewhere, right? 
And so there's a lot of stuff going on in that. Uh, we have a number of things going on in our lives and our stories and our children and our homes. So Brooke is carrying a massive load right now. And in that, uh, the uh, realities of eight children frustrate her a little bit more quickly than they usually do. I know that never happens to you. And so, uh, and, and the, you know, we have eight, so it's an onslaught all day long. So the, la- the, the latter part of this week, guess where I found myself? So I was frustrated with the kids that they were frustrating my wife. I was frustrated with my wife that she was being frustrated by the kids because they're just kids. I was frustrated with me that I was frustrated with the kids that they were frustrating her. And I was frustrated at me that I was frustrated at her because she was frustrated with them. And then here's what I did. I affected massive dosages of grace on all of that. No, no, I I didn't actually. That's a lie. (laughs) That didn't happen at all. I did the exact opposite. I started ignoring, taking any thoughts captive whatsoever, and I started having thoughts. This is how it always is. These people need to grow up, all nine of them. Not me, though. I'm mature and grown up. I'm fine. It got so bad that on Saturday, we traveled to the east coast of Florida to go visit with my parents-in-law over there. And the entire drive there, uh, it's a two-hour drive. Uh, I didn't really talk to Brooke sitting right next to me. It's not that we were mad at each other. I just didn't really have anything to say. And she didn't apparently have anything to say to me. The kids were watching a movie, and every time they laughed, I'd go, stop! Because it was bothering someone. I don't know who, but someone. (laughs) By the end of Saturday, I actually sent a text to two of my best friends in the church here. And I said, I need need you guys to pray for me. This is what I said. I said, I'm graceless. I have no grace. I've dug. I try to pursue it in me. Somewhere there's grace in you. It's God's grace. Isn't that what I preached last weekend? God's grace in us. I try to find it. It wasn't there. I went, it's, it's no, I had no grace to give. I didn't want to give grace. I, I even said to them in the text, I know this is the enemy, but it doesn't matter because I just want to be mad. Doesn't that sound beautiful? See, we think, I think, I think, honestly, I think we think that once we enter into these beautiful scriptural realities that shift our paradigms and change our thinking, that we're going to walk out the door here and it's all going to be hunky-dory. We're just going to suddenly become effectors of grace all over the place, and we're going to defeat the enemy. That's not how it works. It's a giant mess. It's super hard. You, you, you get the paradigm shift, and then you go blow it, and then you know what we do as Christians? I love it. We come together, and we think we're the only ones blowing it, so we do this. How'd it go for you? No, it went really well for me this week. That message was inspiring, and I did the great. Yeah, me too. Me too. And then we walk out feeling defeated because secretly we weren't gracious. If not on the outside, certainly not on the inside. I mean, you can pull it off here. What's going on in here? I said to them in the text, internally, it's all over the place. I don't even know who I'm mad at anymore. I'm just mad at somebody. I did something I've never done before. I've, I've on occasion gone back to podcasts I've done and had to listen to them to figure out which podcast from a weekend I might podcast or, or you know, to, to go and regroup on something because I'm going to preach another message down the road on it. But I've never actually gone and listened to one of my own podcasts to preach to myself. <laughs> I did that this weekend. I did. 
I'm driving home from the beach yesterday, and I literally, it's like 10 o'clock at night, my wife's in the chair next to me, we're still frustrated at each other, she's kind of taking a a quasi-nap, maybe she was pretending, maybe it was real, I don't really know, but either way, my kids are in the back trying to watch a movie, and I literally was listening to music, I thought, you know what, I gotta go listen to that podcast from this last weekend again, because I'm not getting it right. So I had preached to myself, it was super weird, Uh, but it was good, it was good, (laughs) because I'm like, I needed that. I needed that. You know what I love about the scriptures? Here's what I love about the scriptures. That all of that is our reality coming out of this last set of wonder. And what the spirit of God is about to do through Paul in 2 Corinthians is he's about to open for us a little box of scripture and it's gonna be as though he knew exactly this is where we would land. It will be as though he went, oh, it didn't go as well as you thought, did it? Oh, having the idea that you're undoing the schemes of the enemy with grace, you tried and failed. Good. Here's a little box for you with power beyond your wildest imagination to sustain the ongoing journey of following the gospel even when you feel defeated by the very thing you know you're supposed to be succeeding at. That's what he's about to do. It's incredible. So grab your Bibles and let's go take a look because, man, this message is for all of us that step in with our whole hearts to go and do it and get it right and then find ourselves struggling far more than we thought with truths that we now know but can't seem to get right. This is for us. This is for me. This is for you. Second Corinthians chapter two. We're gonna go to verse 12. If you're using one of our Bibles, page 666. If you're using a smart device or one of your Bibles, it is second Corinthians chapter two, verse 12. So let's take a look at what Paul's doing. So remember, just real quick as a recap, right before uh, he said in verse 11, so that we might not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs, right? So we are gracious, why? So that we are not outwitted by the enemy who's trying to kill us, right? So that's pretty urgent, pretty big. You and I inspired to go be gracious, yeah! And then we go out there and by Saturday it's... (laughs) We're dead. Look what he says in verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there, so I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Now, What I love about the letters that we find in scripture is that they have two things going on simultaneously. On the one hand, they are the word of God, right? So there's not a single word here that doesn't have deep, intrinsic wonder, isn't drawing implications for us about the gospel. So we can look at these letters and go, whoa, he went to Troas to go do ministry and he couldn't stay, so he went to Macedonia. There's something about that that's beautiful and we're gonna find it, right? At the same time, it's just a letter. I went to Troas. I got there, it was awesome, but I didn't see Titus, so I moved on. Like some of it's just regular stuff, and what God manages to do is he takes the regular human stuff and he brings it into the table as though he's just writing a letter to some friends about Troas, and yet in this beautiful little verse is all the wonder you would expect from the word of God. So what's going on? So Paul headed to Troas uh, from where he was in Ephesus. He went to Troas to do what? 
to go and find a guy named Titus. He wanted to find Titus, and apparently the plan was to meet up in Troas, or Paul knew that Titus would be in Troas. When he got to Troas, there was an incredible open door for ministry. That sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? And what do you know about Paul when he arrives somewhere and it's clear that God is opening a door for him to do ministry? What distracts him from that? Nothing. Nothing does. Paul doesn't get distracted because he's always, he's hurt lots of people saying, I was going to come and see you or do this, but God had me here, open door. He wouldn't even go to Corinth when there was a great open door in Ephesus. And Corinth needed him. And this is what Paul just said to us. I, I got to Troas. And like literally God opened the door there like the floodgates. It was amazing. There was just minutes. I came to share the gospel and it was moving so fast. And what was Paul's experience of that? I wasn't feeling right. I was all anxious in my soul. My, my heart wasn't at rest. Nothing was going the way I was. And so I left the open door of Troas and just went to Macedonia. You know what Paul went to Macedonia for? Well, it says it in the script. Why was his heart so anxious in Troas? Because he didn't find Titus. Why was he looking for Titus? Do you remember what Titus did? We know this because in 2 Corinthians he said it earlier on. Titus delivered the severe letter to the church in Corinth. Remember that? You know that second letter he wrote that we don't have access to that was really, really severe? Titus was the one that took that letter. Do you remember when the first letter was sent out in 1 Corinthians? It wasn't even a severe letter. It was a little bit of bad news, somewhat corrective. And Paul had to actually write into the letter, Don't hurt Timothy. Don't hurt him. If you hurt him, I'll hurt you. He didn't say it quite that way, but that was his implication. He said, I want to make sure that you know that I'm expecting Timothy back here soon. You don't get to beat him. You don't get to arrest him. You don't get to bury him backyard. You don't get to do that. Because in those days, sometimes that would happen. So when he gets to Troas, Paul's super anxious because Titus isn't there. And what does that mean? Titus just went to Corinth to go and deliver a very severe letter. So if Titus isn't there, then that means two things. One, maybe the church in Corinth did something to Titus, which then also means that the church in Corinth did not receive the letter well, right? So he's anxious for Titus. He's anxious for the church in Corinth. Have you ever said one of those, sent one of those emails that was really hard to send, you know? things you had to say to someone, didn't want to do it face to face, but an email would be better because then you wouldn't lose it and say ridiculous things, so you carefully wrote it down. You read it 19 times. You had someone else read it. It was good. You sent it, and then they don't respond. Have you ever felt that? You're like refreshing every four minutes. Still haven't sent back. And then you sleep that night, and they still don't respond, and the next day you know you're going to be at that school meeting, and you're going to see them there, and you're like, do they hate me now? I mean, I, I said at the end of the email, let me know how you feel, but they're not letting me know. Maybe they're ticked. Maybe they want me dead. I don't know. And you're all anxious and bent out of shape, because when you send a hard note to someone, what are you longing for? Something back to say, I, I received it. We're We're okay. We're okay. So Paul sends a severe letter to the church in Corinth and he hasn't heard word back. How'd it go? How'd they receive it? Maybe they're more mad at him now than they ever were. And why did Paul write it in the first place? Because he was mad at them? No, because he, his heart for them is huge. Now he was mad at them too. And so it was severe. But he was like, listen, my heart for you is, is repentance and, and, and restoration and redemption. And I don't know, maybe the letter went really badly. Have you ever felt like you're doing something for God, but you're kind of doing it half wrong and maybe you're blowing it? Paul has all those same feelings, folks. So he's in Troas with massive ministry opportunity, 
but he abandons it to go to Macedonia because he's anxious. Because he wants to find Titus and hear from Titus how the Corinthians are because he's feeling anxious that maybe he hurt their feelings more than he should have. Doesn't sound much like Paul, does it? But it's exactly who Paul is. He's just like us. He struggles too. And so, an open door in, in Troas is abandoned out of anxiety to try to find Titus. That's not the way it should play. That's not how Paul usually plays it. But this time he's playing it out of his weakness. Now look at this. He says this. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Now we know something about what happened to Paul because he says it and we know history. When Paul got to Macedonia, guess who he found in Macedonia? Titus, he found Titus. Titus was not dead. He was not killed by the Corinthians. He was not hurt. He was in Macedonia. He found Titus. Titus gave him word that things from the severe letter went better than thought. Now, were there still issues with the church in Corinth? Yes. Were they still believing some things about Paul that they shouldn't? Yes, hence the third letter. But the general report from Titus, he says it in this letter, was the letter went better than expected. They kind of repented. They were kind of sorry for what they did. They, they really want to reconcile. They, they want to get back together. Hence, Paul wanting to go visit them and writing this third letter to say, I'm coming to visit you because I heard the second letter went well, but I just want to make sure we got the other baggage sorted out before I come. That's what this letter is. So Paul was excited to find Titus. And when he finds Titus in Macedonia, he says, but thanks be to God, for though I left Troas when there was an open door for ministry, I have discovered in my journey that even when I am moving out of anxiety, out of a lack of engagement with the Spirit's leading, that God somehow still leads us in a victorious, triumphal re reality. I'm in Macedonia and it's going super well. And it shouldn't be, I blew it in Troas. God should be going, what on earth were you doing thinking leaving Troas when I opened every door there for you? Because you were a little anxious about Titus. Don't you trust me? So it should happen and didn't happen. He says, thanks be to God that Jesus is always leading us in a triumphal victory. Now, the language Paul is using here is beautiful and language that would have immediately struck the hearts of the people in Corinth because the people in Corinth are in Achaia, which is south of Macedonia. Macedonia and Achaia uh, on the west side of the Aegean Sea is Roman territory. So whenever in Rome big stuff happens there, it also comes down to Macedonia. Philippi, remember, was a massive Roman army city. Uh, Athens was a Greek city but with lots of Roman influence. Thessalonica was a massive Roman stronghold. Corinth was the, was the Roman gateway for all the commerce going on. So this is Roman territory. And when the Romans conquered, which was when? All the time, right? I mean, that's what they did. They woke up in the morning and let's go battle somebody else and take their land from them. That's what they did. They were expanding territory. Every time they would overcome some enemy, they would have a victorious, triumphal parade. And the way those worked is they would come in through the main city gates, and often the parade wouldn't just be in Rome, it would then go out from city to city to kind of tell everybody, we won again! And they would come in, and they would do a number of things. The Caesar would always, or the leader of that city, would stand uh, in the main entry point, and they would be the recipient of the victory. 
And then the general would be on a white horse and he'd be coming in first as the effector of the victory. And then behind him would be some soldiers and then between those soldiers and the rest of the soldiers would be the enemy who was taken captive by them in chains now belonging to Rome. They were gonna be made to be part of Rome. And then they would burn incense, a specific incense of victory. And the incense would burn so that all five senses were captivated. You had all the visuals and the sounds and the smells. And so that's where we get the term, the smell of victory, right? There was a particular smell for Rome that was the smell of victory. That same smell of victory for Rome was the smell of defeat for whoever they overcame, right? It was a single fragrance. So here's what Paul says. What I'm finding, Paul says, is that as I move through my life, as I do it directed by God, and then sometimes just do it out of anxiety, out of my heart's not right, out of I just want to find Titus. God seems every time to do the same thing. He leads us in victory for his kingdom. Now this isn't the kind of victory we find in some of the self-help books or the Christian version of self-help books. The oh, don't worry, Jesus is for you and he'll make all your life victorious and nothing will ever go wrong. And if it is, you're just not you know, blessed or doing the right thing. That's not what he's talking about here at all. He's talking about this, that wherever I go, the expansion and movement of the kingdom of God in me and through me is ongoing, regardless of whether I go there out of strength or spiritual engagement or failure and anxiety. God is at work. Now watch, he's actually gonna expand on that. Take a a look at this. He says this, that Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. That is where Paul is showing us the kind of victory God is leading us in. Watch this. Why is Paul in Macedonia? Because the Spirit of God led him there? No. No, he was anxious in Troas, so he went to Macedonia to find Titus. And what happened in Macedonia? God used him there to spread the fragrance of the gospel to Macedonia again in new ways. What is he saying? Paul is saying this. Where God takes me, he spreads the aroma of the gospel. And where I go, even when it's not really listening, God spreads the aroma of the gospel. You know how we live so often? I think I I do sometimes. I think you do. We, We think that God has this will, this line, right? And our job is to spend our life staying on the line, right? (laughs) And so we're panicked all the time. God, am I doing your will? What school do I go to? Oh no, no, what if it's the wrong one? Who who do I engage with? What job do I take? What if this, oh, oh, and we're back and forth and like, please, the will of God, please. And God is somehow up in the sky shouting at us, this way! But by the time it gets through the clouds, it's dull and weird. <laughs> and so we're like, I'm listening, but I can't hear it. And then we read the Bible, like, the will is here, but it says nothing about schools and which one to go to. <laughs> so it's really confusing. And so we're constantly panicked that maybe we're living outside the will of God somehow. And we gotta get back on track because ultimately, isn't that what the gospel's all about? telling you to make sure you do what God wants, otherwise he's gonna strike you dead. No, that's not the gospel, but yet we live that way. And here's what Paul's saying to us. Are you in a place because you were anxious and you shouldn't be here now? It's okay, the fragrance of the knowledge of God is traveling with you to that place. 
Are you in a place because you were receptive to the Spirit of God and did what He wanted? Oh, that's good. The fragrance of the knowledge of God is going with you. It's going everywhere. And wherever you go, God is leading you on a triumphal parade of victory because God will not be undone by your insanity or foolishness. Isn't that awesome? So look at this. Look at this. Oh, he's not done. He's not done. This is awesome. Look at this. He says, why, why does this happen? Why is it that wherever we land, whether it was the wisest decision or out of great wisdom or not, why is it that the fragrance of the knowledge of God goes wherever we go? Here it is. Look at this. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. What are we? We are the aroma of Christ to God for the world. Guys, this is not something you do. This is not something you figure out. If you know Jesus, you are full of the Spirit, and if you're full of the Spirit, you are the aroma of Christ, period, end of story. You are. When you blow it, he, Christ, is the aroma that is in you that demonstrates repentance, grace, and wonder. When you succeed, it is He, Christ, in you that makes that success something worthy of eternity rather than just a temporal, pride-filled success. You see, wherever we are, it is not us who are trying to become something so God can go, well, you're doing it kind of right, so I guess. It's Christ in us that is what He is and so we get to live our lives in the wrestle of humanity and in the ups and the downs. What are we? The aroma of Christ. And to who are we this aroma? Well, to all of those who are being saved and to all of those who are perishing. Who does that include? Everyone. It's everyone. There's no third category, folks. There are those perishing and there's those being saved and then there's these other human beings that are neither perishing nor being saved. We don't know what they're doing, but they're weird. But we don't go to them because we're not the aroma to them. No, there are no third categories. We are either people on our way towards salvation or people on our way toward destruction. And he says, you get to be the aroma of Christ to both of them. People that know Jesus, people that don't know Jesus, people that want to know Jesus, people that don't want to know Jesus, people that are on their way to Jesus, people that are on their way from Jesus. What are you? What am I? We are the aroma of Christ for God to those people. That's what we get to do. That's who we are. Now, now, he's going to show us something very important. Because again, we are self, so self-driven as human beings that we think it's always up to us. And it's what we do. We actually think that we could, we could be the aroma one day and then not the aroma the other day. Well, you, you can't. Because you're not the aroma. Christ in you is the aroma. So you can't actually do that. But then we think that when we are the aroma and we're doing a great job at it, then of course people will respond beautifully to that, right? Because that's how it works. And then he says this. Look at this. For we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. What does this mean? What does this mean? Let me read this to you real quick. So sometimes I'll read the message. It's a transliteration. 
uh, not great for studying, but great for just catching the narrative of Scripture. You with me? So I love reading it because on occasion when you read it, it goes, it just, it just nails it. And you're like, that's what it meant. Okay, listen to this. This is what the, the message says uh, as it translates this passage. In the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. That's pretty awesome. Did you mess it up? It's okay, because God's still leading you from place to place. Watch this. Through us, he brings the knowledge of Christ everywhere we go. Wow, now look at this, I love this. Everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance of Christ. Because of Christ, because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way of salvation. An aroma so full of life. But to those on the way to destruction, they treat us more like a stench from a rotting corpse. What is the aroma that smells like a stench of a rotting corpse? It's the same aroma that smells like life upon life. You see that? He's not saying, when you're gracious, then you are the aroma of life. But when you're graceless, you are the stench of a corpse. It's not what he said. He said, because Christ is in us, we are one aroma, and that aroma is received badly by some and really well by others. Who else had this experience? Oh, wait, Jesus, the one we represent, the one who is in us. So it's not actually our aroma that's causing all this turmoil. It's him, again, he's been doing it since he came, right? Do you remember when Jesus came to the planet and he preached the gospel? You remember what happened to him? Everybody loved him. They all thought he was awesome. And then they raised him up onto the throne in Jerusalem where he's been reigning ever since until two, no, that's not how it went. Some people loved him. Some people literally found themselves to be alive for the first time because he spoke, because he touched, because he came, because he was. And what about others? Some people couldn't do it. The rich young ruler is a great example. Didn't hate him, but he was like, no, dude, I can't do that. And then there were some people that vehemently hated him. They hated him so much they got him crucified because they didn't want him to take their power. If the creator and sustainer of the universe while on planet Earth was an aroma that to some was life upon life and to some was the stench of a corpse, then how are we to expect anything different when he is the aroma that bleeds through us? Folks, this is not always gonna go well because you're gonna blow it sometimes, I'm gonna blow it sometimes. Then it's not always gonna go well when you get it right all the time because others aren't gonna respond well to you. Then you're not gonna respond well to them and blow it and then the whole thing's gonna be all reversed again. And what is Paul saying in the midst of all of that? Oh, but thanks be to God that in the midst of our giant mess, he is weaving the story of victory every day. That's pretty awesome. Now. I love what Paul does next. Look at this. He says, who is sufficient for these things? And then he doesn't say anything after that about who's sufficient. You know why? Because it's a rhetorical question. I'm gonna read from the message again. I love this. I love this. Look what he says. This is a terrific responsibility, isn't it? Is anyone competent to take it on? No. It says it. No. No one is. You can't do it. Nor can I. 
So stop trying to be something you're supposed to be for God, getting it right some days and wrong and then feeling full of pride one day when you get it right and devastated the next when you get it wrong. This is Christ in you, a promise from him. And then he says this, no, none of us competent, but at least we don't take God's word, water it down, and then take it to the streets and sell it cheap. The way it says here in the, in the, in the ESV is this. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Here's what he's saying. Stop trying to sell it, folks. Stop trying to sell it. Stop trying to manufacture some pretense of a life so people think you're better than you are, so they'll like Jesus more. It just doesn't work that way. You're not better than you think you are. In fact, you probably think more of yourself than you ought. That's in the Bible. And so what you already think of yourself is probably more than you are, right? And then the rest of us are so shamed by some reality in our life that we think less of ourselves than we ought. But none of us ever think rightly of ourselves because we're very rarely fixed on Jesus who only thinks rightly of us. Here's what Paul's saying. I was in Troas. It was an incredible opportunity. I should have stayed. I didn't. I was anxious. I went up to Macedonia. It should have gone badly. But you know what I've discovered? That when I blow it or when I get it right, here's what I know. God never gets it wrong. And he always is leading me toward the same end, which is redemption. You know, in the, in the ESV, I don't usually like the titles that they put on top of these little paragraphs because, you know, Paul didn't write the title. Triumph in Christ, next paragraph, how sweet. Paul didn't do that. That was other people. But this particular title I loved. This little paragraph we just read, the title in the ESV is Triumph in Christ. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us. That's what the Spirit of God is trying to tell us in this passage. Are you trying to be full of grace because you've now figured out that grace is the warfare by which we combat the design of the enemy? Good, keep doing that. Did you fail at it this week? I know, none of us are competent to get this right. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be an ambassador for Christ, you understand? You shouldn't be representing him, nor should I. But we get to anyway. We get to anyway. Do you know why? Because we've proven ourselves deserving of such an honor. No, 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 no. Because Christ is in us. The Spirit of God empowers us. And through him, we are the fragrance of Christ to the world. When we get it right, we are the fragrance of Christ in our actions. And when we get it wrong, we are the fragrance of Christ in magnifying the necessity and need for the gospel in our lives and in the lives of those around us. We run to Jesus because he never loses. It didn't go well yesterday for me. I mean, it, it didn't go well. What else do you want me to say? I wasn't full of grace. I ignored the message from last weekend. If you've never ignored one of the messages preached on the stage, kudos to you. I ignore them all the time. <laughs> I mean, not purposefully. I'm just saying it happens. And then I blow it. And then I feel shame. And, and I, I'm, I'm bummed. And last night I got into bed. And you know, you, you know those talks you try to have with your wife? Or she tries to have with you and they're supposed to go well, but they don't. You know, I, I know, you guys have never done that. But in my house that happens sometimes. So last night, like I'm not standing on the stage here telling you guys, oh no, yesterday was yesterday, but all is well in the world today. 
It's all good, I'm, I'm gracious today with my kids. I shouted at my son in the Sprinter van in the parking lot before the 902 because he was taking his time and I was stinking late. And then right after I'm like, sorry, I'm overreacting again because I'm still a little frustrated from everything. I'm still wrestling through this, folks. I'm not here on the stage to tell you that was yesterday, we're good today. I still feel a bit grace- graceless right here. I like you all, but you don't live in my house, so I'm, I'm <laughs> still feeling a bit graceless. It's, it's not a solution to our gracelessness, it's a freedom in our gracelessness. It's a freedom in our failure. It's us saying, God, I bring everything to you. I bring what I succeed at and I bring what I fail at and I trust only this, that you are always leading a triumphal, victorious parade. That in my failure or my success, you have promised that you will weave it together. You ready? You will weave it together for the great good of your story and of us, that you will complete us because you said you would. So, what does this leave us to be? Well, here's what it leaves me. I don't know what it does for you, but here's what it leaves me. Tomorrow, I'm gonna try again. I'm gonna be gracious again. I don't know if I'll succeed. Tomorrow I might, tomorrow I might not, but I'm gonna try. And the day after that, and the one after that, and every day until I take my last breath. Do you know what I'm gonna keep trying? Not because I'm gonna keep getting it right, but because I know that even when I get it wrong, he still wins. He still wins. And I belong to him, and he belongs to me. And so I am the fragrance of Christ, even when I'm behaving like the stench of a corpse, because he is big enough to overcome my best and my worst and use me mightily to complete his story of redemption. That is my only freedom, and that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Let's pray. God, thank you for your incredible love for us that is so expansive that even when we fail you, even when we fail you knowingly because we know better, you, you, Father, you, God, don't fail us. Don't abandon us. You don't get all ticked at us and shelve us. You simply say this. Oh, don't worry. Thanks be to God that wherever you are, for whatever reason you are, there too I will carry my fragrance to everyone because you are the aroma of Christ. May we, one, find great freedom in that, and two, God, would you help us to be inspired by that to actually actively pursue the kind of actions and words that will demonstrate the fragrance that is already in us so that we might participate not just passively as recipients of grace that you're affecting grace through, but actively as participants in that grace by actively participating in our sanctification and in the pouring out of salvation by sharing through our life and our words the gospel with others. We're grateful, God, for your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name.